Hi, thanks for listening in to Season 3, Episode 24 of Heart of Conservation. I'm Lalitha Krishnan, bringing you more stories from the wild that keep us connected with the natural world. You can read the show notes of this episode on my blog, Earthy Matters, and check out extra links provided by my guest. I'm speaking to Yuvan, a naturalist, educator, activist, musician, and author. One of India's young influencers, Yuvan is currently documenting coastal stories, helping create tree laws, saving the biodiversity of sand dunes and water bodies, apart from a host of other ecologically relevant issues. Thank you, Yuvan, for joining me and my listeners on Heart of Conservation. I'm truly excited to be speaking to you. There's so many things we can talk about, but... Uh, I'd like to start with something that's more recent in your life, if you don't mind. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, in collaboration with the Madras Naturalist Society, you re- recently launched the Urban Wilderness Walk, which in your words is a dream come true as a naturalist and educator. So, could you tell me why, what and how you realized this dream? Yes. Sure. So firstly, I'm very, very delighted to be on your podcast. A lot of people you have spoken with, some of the questions you have asked, uh, their work, their voice, their writing has been very formative for me. And so so I'm very happy to be here and, and in conversation with you. <laughs> so see, Urban Wilderness Walks uh, emerged from this idea of uh, and thinking about what creates cultures. Um, and is it possible that we can have a citywide culture which is ecocentric, where people are excited about, are knowledgeable about, are engaging with uh, biodiversity found around them in an urban space? That's the challenge. And and active about environmental issues and just exercising agency and, and not slinking away with the life which you know urban spaces often presses on us of being passive you know going to work coming back uh, you know sleeping and eating and, and you know all the rest of it so uh, the, the dream of the urban wilderness walks internship is to kind of create a city wide network of young naturalists anchor people resource people who can facilitate activities around uh, you know ecology nature environment um that they constantly you know periodically take people on walks and 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 kind of evoke uh, urban spaces in an entirely different light um and that was the dream and it uh, it kind of grew slowly first it was a few friends i did it in my apartment and i do it you know once every few months and and then i asked some people uh, some friends who are also naturalists to do it there but then that that wasn't kind of meeting or what i was uh, you know visioning in my head so then through madras naturalist society we actually offered it as an internship for colleges and for life science students you know one of the things about chennai is that it does not have an ecology course chennai or its out, outskirts in fact i think there are only one or two places in tamil nadu which offer uh, young people a uh, course in ecology or conservation biology environmental sciences you know people often diffuse away to bangalore to dehradun and other places you know aspiring naturalists who want to pursue a career here so the idea was to train young you know young people with the experience the knowledge the skills the tools to be 
fantastic facilitators uh, you know who i who get people excited about living things and nature in urban spaces interesting mm. that a state like tamil nadu doesn't have um, an ecology course or doesn't offer enough of it is what you said yeah <laughs> okay and uh, you know you encouraged uh, some students from chennai to draft this petition to push for uh, urban trees and they succeeded in fact you shared a sto- story today i think where they've convinced 600 colleges and schools that's amazing um so that must have felt really empowering so could you briefly tell us about that so- yes so you know that campaign is part of a, a nature education come citizen ship program i conduct for a school where i'm working for the past 3 years called abacus montessori school and okay. very very fortunately it's grounded in the montessori philosophy uh, and montessori is one of those educational philosophers who went through the worst of human history you know through the world wars and he said oh we got to reimagine education uh, children need to be uh, able to think for themselves uh they need a variety of experiences they need to their experience of learning needs to be uncoupled from the larger market forces and these were questions she pondered about deeply and and wrote about them so in our school we have this program for nature education right from you know the primary little toddlers uh, up till class 12 so when we come to class 10 11 and 12 it's about citizenship now citizenship in in the way we you know crafted it for our school means a few things one is that children's learning is in direct participation in matters of society environment politics governance is in direct engagement with the real world not with just intellectually uh, or not just in in a kind of insulated silos and it also means being active in in uh and practicing action as as a kind of grounding and philosophy uh so so which means a whole range of things you know children decide okay this this is my question this is my concern i'm going to pursue it agency coming from within rather than coming from instruction outside so so this is what the citizen science, uh, citizenship program kind of holds for children so class 10 children learn rti you know how to file rtis for the state for the center and there is also a reflection into what freedom of expression means what active citizenship means what are uh, different things they want to pursue uh, based on their life experiences and backgrounds and then they use rti as a medium to explore this uh, whole thing and different modules like that so in class 11 we have something called a class campaign so children come up with a cause which is local uh which which kind of pertains to chennai or tamil nadu uh and find ways of amplifying it giving voice to it uh engaging with it in in real time so last year the class 11 children they took up the save pulicat campaign you know right now uh, a lagoon a beautiful lagoon under grave threat because of a port proposed by the adani group so last year they took that up and they made some beautiful art and they also ran a petition they had other ways of spreading the message and they conducted a a press conference um in 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 chennai and through that what happened it 
the message reached a whole lot of people and a public hearing decided for the port you know we know you know public hearings are shams you know of, of, of often in in the process of clearing uh, you know wild spaces they were able to stop that and because the media took it up and yeah. the district collector said let's scrap the public hearing where it looks like a whole lot of people are going to turn up we have covid issues and you know all that stuff and they stopped that and that was such an important thing in the campaign because very shortly later a few months later the new government came and they kind of uh, rode on this saying okay we vote for us we will scrap the adani port it was a mm. win that sense you know um okay. you know, a little a little spanner in the works of of so so this year uh, what children uh, took up was you know these children have been part of creating a forest and an arboretum in our farm school uh, which we have in velaputur and they they've been to different landscapes around you know chennai and india you know understanding uh, wild places and so one of the things they kind of easily took up was a law for urban trees a little background to that is a lot of states in india have a law for urban trees which means there are trees very old ones uh, you know important for the city's health for people's health which which have a specific law protecting them you take for instance maharashtra it has a beautiful law i mean its implementation is is up for question but there is a tree authority made mm. of people and of government officials who look at how to create awareness who scrutinize projects which want to fell you know a few thousand trees and so on there is a tree helpline there is a clause which says if trees are more than 50 years old they come they get a label called heritage trees and that gives them extra protection and so on but in tamil nadu there is no such law Now, similarly west bengal has kerala has assam has karnataka has in tamil nadu any tree falling outside a protected area has for you know in in all uh, virtually no protection uh, virtually no personhood so and you know through my activism work and looking at other kinds of movements uh, in this state if there was a tree law it protects people and places so for instance i you know pulicat if there was a tree law it would protect the mangroves it would protect the other kinds of vegetation there which is very old and it would be an added layer of uh in a security for the fisher folk there you know north chennai is a watery landscape and artisanal fishers are, are thousands in number who've been living here for centuries similarly for instance if you take uh, the salem highway recently uh, which has been scrapped in some sense by the new government but if there was a protection there was protection for trees uh, lakhs of mango trees were going to be cut and if they had protection farmer livelihoods are saved if if you take the 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 you know common urban landscape trees you know support protect people you know they they have a, a social life in in urban society the the iron wala the tailor the cobbler the uh, auto stand everything is under trees uh, the provision shop so nice. children picked this up and and they wrote a letter and they got endorsements from students from about 100 different colleges and schools in tamil nadu 600 of 600 endorsements from 100 different institutions and they've they've written to the chief minister the chief secretary the principal secretary of environment 
media was interested they've spoken to media and they all and it's a kind of an ongoing process and uh, i'm kind of happy that it it is also kind of uh, triggering conversations uh, in other groups for instance who've been fighting uh, for a cause like this and there is a kind of coming together and one hopes that this will yeah. result in a law that's great i mean this coming together itself is a is a big force if it happens you know uh, the voices of many yeah that's great so uh, moving on in an article you wrote about coastal sand dunes you said sand is slow water a patient fluid which is moved shaped folded by wind waves and vegetation it flows over the years and with the seasons like a current in deep time it's so poetic and beautiful <laughs> i had to repeat that thank you uh, i love the imagery but more importantly what i didn't know is the whole significance of sand dunes that it creates fresh water for one and that sand dunes are even more effective than mangroves and casuarina plantations in terms of um, protecting coastal communities during a tsunami or a storm how so yes yes in fact there is a, a studies by carrot and feral india which has uh, kind of brought out this truth you know sand dunes often are seen as as landscapes which don't have life and and if one were to go with an informed eye one sees so much you know i was in a village called poiga in allur in nagapatnam a few months ago in search of sand dunes in fact poigai is a interesting word poigai means fresh water pond in uh, tamil a word which is not uh, often in use nowadays but poigai also signifies uh, an aesthetic water body you know something which which has a kind of a, a beautiful backdrop perhaps has lilies and lotuses so it's called poigai nallur but it's bang at the uh, next to the sea so one thing which the village is known for and and also a, a cluster of other villages around it is that there are massive sand dunes there you know 40 feet uh, you have to climb them like little hills and 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 go around them and kind of navigate that landscape and the people here have a interesting practice of letting of protecting sand dunes and letting them revive you know if if you went and spoke to them they'll say that you know for for Uh, as long as they remember they keep these palm fronds in mm. the direction of the wind and and stop the wind so you know sand kind of uh, gathers there and then they take palm seeds and put them behind so when they sprout they mm. grow sand dunes and after storms you know after you know strong weather events sand dunes actually take a beating they again uh, use this practice to help them recover fast uh and and the, the whole aliveness of of a coastal dune landscape uh i was able to see through those people's eyes you know the, the fisher folk of that place and it's it's miraculous 30 feet from the tide line they have water pumps which i have tasted and uh, which which are, which gives clean water and perhaps 200 feet just behind the sand dunes there's agriculture happening and <laughs> so so these sand dunes you know these are called secondary or tertiary sand dunes they are massive and right behind them there is a forest because the sand has sheltered uh, you know salt laden winds and it creates a perennial pool and mm-hmm. when you when you walk in such a landscape the the brain is confused because on one side there is waves crashing on the other side there's a frogscape frogs <laughs> and toads are calling hardcore freshwater species 
so but the, but the deeper uh, you know hydrological importance of sand dunes is that uh, or any coastal cities that sand on the edge of a place actually creates this bio shield from sea water ingressing you know sea water can travel underground into fresh water aquifers and contaminate them and they become uh, unusable if you look for instance in north chennai where um, all the big industries have come up uh, and it's full of groins because all the, the all the british ports uh, even uh, some of the recent ports are being set up in north chennai uh, there is no beach uh, if you take archival pictures from british india of north chennai you will find that there was a very large beach there there's no beach right now and interestingly in 2019 a uh, study by anna university finds in the whole of india maximum sea ingress is in north chennai places like ennur uh, and and nearby sea in some places has come in crept inside underground up till 18 kilometers and contaminated water so you know it uh, people have to move from here or uh, you know build desalination plants and so on you know uh, the hope of uh, say like that is to evoke the, the the magic of sand dunes you know sand the way we use that word you know is is without life but not so you know they 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 actually ensure life happens by by just being on the coast that is so amazing i really feel like going and seeing them now fantastic So tell us about you know you went traveling uh, down the Indian coast did you do that for 2 years i'm not sure if i got that right so what were you thinking when you began this venture and what did you return with yeah so hopefully i'll i'll be able to kind of begin again in in on 20 starting 20th i'm going on a long tour along the uh southern districts of tamil nadu where where some very special coastal landscapes coastal ecologies exist and pre covid also i was going to different places of the indian coast and understanding uh them a bit and and the people who live there so the idea the the interest in coast started with our campaign for pulicat and uh hope and and the action to save it one of the things we found that while campaigning for the space we did not have enough stories we did not have in fact in some places scientific data and other kinds of things which would evoke this place as as beautiful as magical as worth saving so we had to do that on the go on the run and uh, coastal landscapes exist on a cusp you know uh, you know with uh, changing climate with uh, you know seas becoming more unpredictable more intense uh, they are the most vulnerable coasts and coastal communities you know and but they are also our first line of defense from uh, you know climate change driven consequences and impacts you know raging in from the sea so they exist on that cusp on the on that very difficult cusp and you know they are on the margins and also co- you know coastal communities also marginalized in that sense you know in a political sense so that feeling that intersection of of realities during you know campaigning for pulicat uh, kind of drove this whole uh, idea so 
you know what we are doing is so one is a very large project we are doing all across the tamil nadu coast again through madras naturalist society and and i work with with a, a team of friends you know uh, you know i should mention their names you know we've all been equally part of that uh, vikas uh, ashwati anuja nandita and rohit and myself so you know we people call us the ocean six and all that so we are constant whatever time we have we are on the beach we are you know with fisher people we are uh, you know at estuaries and creeks and so on um so we have actually finished about one fourth of the tamil nadu coast and we are looking at as comprehensively possible documenting their ecology and and the life there the deep you know inimitable knowledge of artisanal fisher folk if you come to this part of tamil nadu just the north not the not entire tamil nadu there are nine words for winds and and wind speech is so vivid that if you walk with um a, a fisherman elder you know one of my greatest teachers has been uh, palayam from ururkupam village uh, near adayar estuary he can stand there and he is so intensely perceiving the wind and he can tell you okay is it going to be mackerel is it going to be no catch is it going to be anchovies or is it good for crabs by reading the wind and that is something i've been understanding a little bit but but the, for them it's an embodied knowledge it's it's uh, a, a knowledge in their blood so so local knowledge and the threats to these coastal landscapes and this is something we hope to do for the entire coast of tamil nadu and as a personal thing uh, i want to you know t- travel you know different places of india and and uh, collect these stories i was in goa recently speaking to fisher folk uh, in in a village called noshi interestingly the the fluctuation between spring tide and neap tide is called sutti butti i just hope i'm pronouncing it correctly in konkani sutti butti and interestingly sutti butti is also a, a reference to our variation in emotion and mood so in their speech the the, the coming in and going of the tides the the lunar fluctuations is likened to the emotionality of the sea and and therefore the sea is alive in that sense <laughs> that's so, yeah. so beautiful mm. so do you think all of your travels and the research and the conversations you're having will one day become a book do you see a book emerging from it yes i i that is a dream uh, hopefully of of stories all around the indian coast of uh, biodiversity of um, local knowledge of different threats of of coastal landscapes being magical places uh, perhaps a collection of essays or perhaps a different form uh, of course there are other people who are who are doing fantastic work for instance uh, you know marine life of mumbai um and uh, you know work like those groups you know different parts of india so yes i i do hope it becomes a book in a few years i hope so too i'd love to read that one <laughs> you want okay i'm talking about music you know you have so many talents so in 2019 you held a music concert for conservation uh, where you also performed mm-hmm. so tell me about this musical interest and the cause specific cause that you held this uh, concert for so i am a recorder player recorder is not a recording device it's a musical instrument and it's from europe it's a woodwind instrument 
seemingly simple to play at the beginning but then it gets a lot harder when you uh, progress with it mm-hmm. and uh, i learned i started learning the recorder when i was 3 and a half when my you know my, my mom uh, joined me in classes and interestingly you know just a, just a note about my teacher uh, who's no more but then i i owe a whole lot to you know s balakrishnan he was also a famous malayalam music director i wanted to pursue this instrument because purely because of his own kindness um i was initially learning the piano from him but then he did not know it too much so he said see this is all i know with respect to the piano uh, i can refer you to other good teachers but uh, if you want to learn from me see i know this bunch of i know the flute i know the recorder and so on so i happen to tell my mom see i don't care what i learn i want to learn from that teacher and uh, he ha- he had a very uh, kind and and uh, he helped me love learning music i i have i've not pursued the piano i've not pursued other kinds of things i've started learning deep back in childhood but then this i've been able to pursue till date and i'm i'm a music teacher also and uh, so and and that's thanks to of course uh, my teacher so uh, you know coming back to your question about uh, the concert uh, on 2019 you know one of the things i hope to continually uh, explore um, because covid got in the way uh, is to merge music with my work in activism one one opportunity which came by was the move of the chennai metro to hack down panagal park it's a very old park with some very very old trees you know few hundred of them uh, for a metro station a uh, metro station is a railway station is which you know the, the, the more the cream of cream society use you know there is mrts there's uh, southern railways there are four kinds of stations but i mean of course it's public transport nothing against uh, that but then their siting was in parks they've already kind of flattened two very old parks uh, at nageshwara park and part of trivika park they have taken over and they have constructed and it's and it's gone those parks are gone uh, so they they wanted to take over panagal park as well and panagal park is there like a, a green lung space an oasis you can walk into in the most uh, haphazard hectic part of chennai around it are large uh, you know uh, cloth shops the saravana stores and nalli and so on where in fact the employees during their breaks they come in here to de stress and that's that's something you see it's 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 an important landmark of chennai so when they wanted to hack that down we were putting together ways in which uh, we could stop that and initially you know we took up robert mcfarlane's heartwood poem you know that's a poem he wrote for the people of sheffield uh, who were protesting against the cutting of trees in their streets he said you know would you hew me to the heartwood cutter would you leave me open hearted as if the tree was speaking to the woodcutter who has uh, come to it with an axe uh, i adapted that poem for tamil and we we made a little uh, you know animation of it and you know as a way of gathering solidarity from people and after that you know if you look at music music comes from the belly of trees uh if you look at for instance the veena the janjira if you made it out of the heartwood of any other tree other than the jackfruit tree it wouldn't sound the same it wouldn't be the veena its characteristic timber and tone if you made the violin 
uh, with anything else other than spruce or maple or few other you know closely related trees it wouldn't sound like a violin uh, similarly with all the, the you know instruments you see in an orchestra the cello the viola the bamboo flute so there are music is really you know as we known it for for all these centuries is the belly the hearts of trees singing so that was the theme of our concert music comes from the heart of trees let's save them and there were professional musicians there were uh, children there were the reading of poetry around trees and it it did make an impact uh, along with the other kinds of campaigning work we were we did and right now the the project to hack down panagal park is kind of stalled not shelved but then uh, chennai metro has gone silent about it and we are keeping the pressure on so yes that, yeah another beautiful effort I, i would never have you know thought of musical instruments like that though we know it's wood and we know it's yeah that's really amazing so you do want to harness the power of music and propel the activism more in the future we planned in fact a concert around wetlands in 2020 but, but that that did not come to fruition because of of covid but uh, hopefully when things ease up even more we'll be able to do that you're self educated you've authored two books already and you're at the forefront of relevant conservation efforts um, in terms of educating and engaging so who or what has been the biggest inspiration in your life i'm sure there are many who's <laughs> yeah. about the self education journey itself you know i am firstly very very grateful to my mother whose uh, life has has not been very easy but then one thing which has been her priority and, and continues to be is is my growth and well being and uh, despite all the hardships she has been able to face uh, she has she gave me a beautiful childhood in the sense that you know parenting often becomes about projecting one's own identity and needs and uh, uh, what i want to draw from society onto the child you know my mother's philosophy of parenting shifted that i'm very grateful for that and yeah that's something i've learned from and practice in my work as an educator is that she observed me you know the child breathlessly she would go okay, where what is the energy of this child you know what draws him and then she would feed into that she would go read up she would go research and she would you know buy things create the experiences and th- that played a very big role for me to uh, grow as a naturalist and and in uh, you know different fields which which are not uh, you know very popular or or you know not too many people are in of course uh, increasingly uh, there are but uh, not as much perhaps so it it started like that and i was also uh, fortunate to go into a krishnamurthy school first i was at the school in chennai in a very beautiful campus and krishnamurthy's philosophy was you know no group or person or leader or spiritual organization can lead you to the truth you have to be a light onto yourself he said truth is a pathless land he spoke about the energy to find uh, you know that which is true or that which is eternal is deeply unique and deeply uh, driven from within for each individual irreplicably so 
so the school's philosophy was that and i met some amazing people there who were interested in wilderness and nature who came to teach there so that that was an important nourishing uh, soil uh, after class 10 studying there you know because of different circumstances i did not want to pursue schooling uh, in the conventional sense so i actually you know one midnight i went to the director of my school he said see i you know at this point in time i can't be at home i, I don't think i can pursue school the way i've done uh, you know so far you know i i have different ideas in mind but then i just wanted to reach out to you uh, his name is g gautama and he has been an inspiration throughout uh, his both his philosophy and his toughness and his uh, different threads of reimagining what education should mean uh he would often come and say see i don't care what i've taught you or uh, just if for two parents you know if these three things uh children feel good about my my work as an educator is complete you know one is they should not contemplate self harm or suicide two is they should be able to walk on fresh paths they should have the they should feel empowered enough to try something entirely new and and he had a few principles like that which i am not recalling at the moment so that fed in a lot in my own into my own strength and into my own uh, practice as an educator so i i went to him and he said he had start just started a new school near place called tirukalikundram a 100 acre campus in the fields and you know uh, farmer landscape of chengalpet um what's it called patashala oh all right patashala and he said okay you come over here you pursue your education uh, by yourself and we'll see what we can do we'll see how else you can be involved so i went there my a levels you know the 11th and 12th under the cambridge syllabus i did all by myself so i would read the books by questions i would call up different people i knew perhaps teachers in the school or i know other people who might be able to help me and say hey you know i want to clarify these doubts would you have half an hour in the evening and then i registered in a different school outside chennai you know head start learning center for my exams so i would go there write my exams and come back so the academic part of my education was very very small so while i was there i walked you know the dozens of lakes i've spoken had so many conversations with colleagues teachers um children farmers the irula community uh, other kinds of people from the village um i also started doing uh, what we called subject enrichment workshops for government schools around patshala which which are in a rural landscape and which don't have much funds so our intention was to connect the content they are learning through the state syllabus to their immediate landscape the biodiversity they see around them the tools they use the lives they live their landscape and that also went uh, very very well i i started reading and writing with farm of fever uh, during that time so so yeah that's that's uh, those are some of the people i mean i mean there are a lot more for instance if i look at my activism work i'm deeply grateful to nityanand jairaman who i consider as my uh, mentor right now he is fighting for kodaikanal you know um, and and the what unilever has done there by dumping mercury and and so on so that that's kind of shortly how how i uh, you know came away from the conventional path of education and uh, found other things and mm-hmm. other people you know i feel you achieved a great deal in a very short while and usually young people don't get asked this but if you had to turn back the clock 
would you have done anything differently? Do you have any regrets? Hmm. You know, the, the thing with uh, regret is that, uh, you know, one, one goes through suffering in life um, and, and one goes through difficult times and uh, a lot of important learning and a lot of growing comes from that. You know, sometimes when you think behind superficially, you want to not have that difficult period, that painful experience. I've had, for instance, a very uh, uh, physically abusive father and a stepfather. And um, if, let's say, sometimes I think back, I want to undo that. But then a lot of the commitment, the energy uh, to work with children and to completely uh, rethink education and, and uh, parenting and, and just the, the community children are comes from that difficult experience. The wrong sort of putting it right. Um, yeah, you know, you know, wrong and right is a, is a kind of a, a way of a polar way of thinking about it. But sometimes, you know, what we hold as regrets were actually triggers for growth and and uh, wisdom, and one learns that on the way. So, so I, I'm I'm glad I don't have the opportunity to go back and undo anything. Although sometimes one one wants to, because because those are times which shifted you, which moved you inside. Yeah. Um. All right. Thank you for sharing that. And is there anything else you'd like to talk about? The closest thing uh, I want to share about uh, uh, of something which will be out soon is that um, it's, it's something our, our coastal team is doing for place-based education. You know, if, you, if you're living in Chennai, mm -hmm. everything you do from your daily life to your day practicalities, to your weather, to your occupation, vocation, is affected by the fact that you're living next to the ocean. And one of the things about a centralized syllabus is that you learn a great deal about the Ganges and the Yamuna, you know, important parts of India. But then you go and ask an average citizen in Chennai or, or any member of public, what are the three most important rivers flowing through Chennai? You know, cities grow around rivers, you know, always from, from you know, deep back in civilization to uh, till now. And that's something we forget. Nobody can name three big rivers, Adayar, Kosastalayar, Kuvam. Uh, it's not in people's imagination. And similarly, the sea, uh, it's the, the, the different coastal habitats, the winds, the currents, although it kind of affects our daily lives and knowing about it would be important for not just the place, but for our, for our own connection with it uh, and, and living our lives in, 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 uh, uh, in touch with these aspects. It's not there. Uh, in what children learn in school. So one thing we've done, and I want to share that material with you as well, uh, is a set of posters about the Chennai coast, specific to the Chennai coast and what lives there. And a little field guide which people can open, go out there on any Chennai beach, find 100 different uh, things, you know, right from gastropods to bivalves to crabs to um, you know, reptiles and so on. And you know, when you know the names, when you know what to look for, the place comes alive. And this is something I, I like to say in different places I speak to. You know, barrenness is always a state of mind, never a state of land. Uh, you know, what is barren is our eyes and our imagination. But when, when these aspects, uh, you know, some, something like this comes into our lives, 
places can turn magical. So a little field guide for the Chennai coast. By the end of this month, we would have distributed in about 100 schools in Chennai. And the hope is to kind of shift the way children experience these places. One of the things I've found as a teacher is that, you know, we had the Vedandangal campaign and that campaign was uh, mostly a, su- a success. I mean, that, I mean, I'm saying mostly because it has not been cancelled completely, you know, uh, the, the plan to denotify the sanctuary to, for, you know, a commercial interest to allow, you know, big pharma companies to expand. I, w- I was happy that I had taken many, many batches of children to that place because when that place was a threat, you know, we went into COVID school, the schools uh, couldn't function. Well, the first module we did was Vedandangal and children sparked up to it like fire. And uh, it was perhaps the largest, you know, most copious art campaign, which was, which has been done in Tamil Nadu, uh, right from three-year-old, four-year-old children, you know, Vedandangal is not just a nursery ground for birds lacks of birds, but also children. So, you know, taking children to a place and and creating connecting experiences there is one of the best ways to protect that place is, is you know, for, for long-term conservation because that place, you know, begins to speak to them, become uh, becomes part of their lives, becomes a source of emotional connection. So, so, so this, this uh, you know, educational material we are creating for the Chennai coast would be available in distributed in schools all across Chennai and, and you know people and public and so on and uh, yeah the, the the hope would be to evoke these places as beautiful and magical in, in people's imagination. That's great so how, how do you do this do you have sponsors to, uh, who help you make this happen? Yes we've, we've been uh, sponsored by the biodiversity collaborative to uh, make these uh, make this material and uh, distribute them print them and distribute them. Okay, great. So I usually ask my guests to share a word or concept that's related to conservation and hold some significance to them. Mm. I know uh, I read that you've discovered some 140 words in Tamil that are related to landscape and either lost in translation or not translatable at all. So I'd like you to share a few of these if you don't mind. I can, I mean, I can add the whole list on my blog if you give it to me, but Yes. Okay. Um, with you. Yeah. Uh, so you know, one of my other big dreams, hopefully, uh, is to uh, kind of create uh, an ecological dictionary, not comprehensive in any sense, but then uh, to kind of evoke the deep reciprocity between language and landscape, especially in India. There, there is a beautiful uh, article which was published by the PNAS, where linguistic diversity, if you look at the world. And biodiversity overlap. The biodiversity hotspots mm-hmm. are also the most linguistically and culturally diverse. I wrote an essay about this with specific reference to India and some of the work I've, I've been trying to do, you know, collecting from different par- different states uh, called uh, Speaking River, Speaking Rain. You know, it was, uh, it was shared widely at uh, the time it was written. So if if you look at for instance you know one very uh, fascinating example in uh, tamil nadu is the word porambok you know porambok means commons porambok means uh, it's a word which refers to landscapes which are used commonly wetlands grasslands scrublands uh, these are places which nobody owns but then everybody needs and they have very important ecological functions they are not allowed to be economized directly or they cannot be 
you cannot go to a salt marsh and grow paddy a salt marsh buffers the ocean's rage it protects your hydrology it is a breeding ground for shrimp and uh, fish and crabs so you know th- sometimes in the minds of uh, local people commons also means a cross species commons and porumbokal has the potential of embodying that philosophy but during the colonial times that word was shifted into meaning meaning wasteland because you could not go and uh, you know grow things there you could not have your plantations there you know uh, or in, you cannot go and grow uh, casuarina in the middle of the lake for instance so this it was twisted into meaning land which had no use so now it's a bad word you know you, you know as, as as a vulgar word you call somebody who who is of no use as it were so one of the things for instance we are trying to do in tamil nadu is shift that word porumbokku back into meaning something beautiful so so that so that's a that's a uh, you know important story with respect to uh, land words if you look at water bodies the number of words for water bodies for instance the word yeri uh, means a specific water body which is sheltered on three sides and there is is a catchment area on the fourth side which is either facing another larger water body or is facing a river basin and yeri also means so there's a system of flow and overflow of these yeris uh, because if you look at kanchipuram after all the real estate after all the you know building over wetlands there still exist 2000 yeris to, today you look at the hydrological map in the national wetland action plan of kanchipuram and chengalpet you know or two districts coastal districts in um, tamil nadu is blue is a watery landscape and people understood that the only way to live here was to let space for water to flow and create space for it to be and recharge so the word yeri i can't translate it i can call it a lake but i can't speak of it in english similarly poigai you know we spoke about poigai nallur similarly um, you know kundru kundam uh, there is uh, there is another word called aali aali kinar which are special sites next to the coast very near the sea for some reason give fresh water um, perhaps they occur in other states too and these are some i visited if you go to for instance tirchendur a coastal temple there is a, a aali kinar there where there is there is a little aquifer in the ground right next to the sea which is giving pure fresh water and the beauty about these words is that the evoke land through poetry through ecological function through the mystery of each uh, landscape um, and and i have been able to collect this for different states as well uh, for instance you go to uh, for instance dibang valley they have words called kinus kinus means spirits and they have a there is golo there is there is uh, beka there is different kinds of spirits in you know, a spirit of the forest spirit of the large tree spirit of the hill spirit of the landslide the house fire in the uh, mishmi you know perception of the world everything is alive everything is embodied with spirit and agency and voice um you go to sikkim all the words they have you know the uh, lepcha uh, it started with my interaction with mylmith lepcha who is uh, protesting against the uh, tista dam Tista for them is an important river because their genesis story starts in the Tista. The first man and woman 
were created by the you know, great mother Ikbumu on the Kanjanjanga. And when people die, the belief is that they go, the spirit travels along Tista and reaches Kanjanjunga again. Their sacrality, their spirituality is geographical. You know, that's, that's the beauty of it. And the, all their words, perhaps I can share that essay with you, is riverine. To be curved like a river, to be, uh, you know, turbulent like a river, which refers to your mood and so on. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is so lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lalita. I hope you enjoyed listening to Yvonne as much as I did. Do check out some of his links in my blog, Earthy Matters. You can also listen to Heart of Conservation on many platforms. You can also write to me if you like at earthymatters013 at gmail.com. That's E-A-R-T-H-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R-S-013 at gmail.com. I'm Lalita Krishnan signing off. Until next time, stay safe. And do subscribe for more podcasts.